God. Man, it's just encouraging to be together this morning. I'm going to turn, take a turn here. That's going to sound a little random, but have you ever been lost? Like, have you ever been really lost that you had no idea where you were going, right? You're a Jets fan, you know what I'm talking about. But this idea of like, man, I, I took a wrong turn. I kept going and I thought I knew where I was going. And now I am just flat out lost. And the turnpike and the parkway, they have ways of doing that to you, right? Now, when I was 17, I had just gotten my, my learner's permit. And I'm sure that this story was some of you, so this might be familiar. But I got my learner's permit. My brother and I drove down to visit my cousin in Flemington, right outside uh, by a town called Ringo's. And we were there, we stayed overnight. And around 10 a.m., we were ready to drive back up north. Uh, we had no money. And we figured if I get to my grandparents' house in Clifton, maybe she'll give us some financial support so I can get back to Randolph. And uh, the problem here was that we were awake until 7 a.m., living on Red Bulls and Monsters, playing video games. Uh, amen, if you know what I'm talking about, right? And it's 10 a.m. and ready to go back. And my aunt, she wrote down on a napkin the directions of how to go from Central Jersey uh, an hour, 15 minutes north back home. And so it was turn left when you get out of the building complex, turn right at the Dunkin' Donuts, go straight, hit the turnpike, stay on the turnpike for about 40 minutes. And then there's going to be a turnover where the turnpike meets the parkway, turn there, and then you'll see Clifton exit whatever. Okay. Three hours of sleep. I've never driven further than an hour before. And we begin driving. We see the Dunkin' Donuts. We turn right. Praise God, we're doing this. We hit the turnpike. And then we make that intersection. You know, hopefully you probably know what I'm talking about, where the parkway meets the turnpike. And I didn't remember what she said. I just remember she said turn. And so turnpike, I think we're on the parkway. Where are we? So we turn. And I felt pretty good about it. We keep going straight. And I start seeing towns I'm familiar with, Union and Secaucus and Elizabeth and Staten Island. And <laughs> I'm like, oh no. And so we stopped in, in Elizabeth and, uh, and the, the, the E was blinking on my uh, gas tank. And we we were, my brother was crying. He's 15. I'm 17. I'm weeping. And uh, we scrounged $5 together underneath one of the floor mats and we paid the gas guy. And um, then we finally got the directions and stuck to that closely. You know, but it's interesting because even spiritually, sometimes there's, there's a, we start off in the path that we think is right, but oftentimes with the crazy turnarounds and turnabouts and side shoots and missed exits, that we wind up going down a path that we kind of feel like, I, 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 I know where, I'm, I'm good, I'm familiar with this, this is right, and then we stick on that for a while, and then all of a sudden we wake up and, we, and we're like, man, how did I get here? Where, what, what is this thinking? I didn't, I, don't, I didn't sign up for this. Where is it? And it's so easy. It's so easy. However long you've been a Christian, whether it's a month or 10 years or 20 years, it's so easy to get off on the wrong exit, travel for a while, and go, whoa, I need to reorient myself to, to Jesus and to where it really matters. And it doesn't hurt. It doesn't help, rather, that in the world we live in, there's so many different uh, isms right? There's things like cynicism and humanism and traditionalism or anti-traditionalism. 
which is very big for Generation X, Y, and Z. Deconstructionism, individualism, moral relativism, materialism, racism, atheism, and so much more. And these currents are pulling us in all different directions. And so the question is, how do we navigate when we have so many pressures knocking on the front door and on the windows to try and distract us from the main road that is Jesus? And it's a challenge. And I don't want to be simple-minded. I don't want to sound redundant or even arrogant to everyone's situation. But I'm going to make a statement that we all believe, but sometimes we need to just say it. Jesus is the answer. Turn to the person next to you and say, Jesus is the answer. Now, Jesus is the answer to what? That's a good question. Let's turn our Bibles over to John chapter 14. And again, if you've been in church for a while, Jesus is the answer is not new news. This isn't surprising. This is something that, that you've heard and you've probably told many people before. But in John chapter 14, Jesus says something that I find very interesting. As he is at the Last Supper with his disciples about to be crucified, he says to them, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am going. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. So how can we, I always imagine there's attitude in Thomas's voice. Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him. And have seen him. Okay. So Thomas asked the question that I think all the disciples were wondering. Like, where are you going? We don't know where you're going. And instead of Jesus saying, hey, turn right and then two lefts, that's where I'm going. He gives a very Jesus answer. And he assumes that they know where he's going. And he says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. Okay, that's not very helpful, right? But it's so interesting because... Throughout Jesus' ministry, he makes statements that, that assume the disciples know what he's talking about. He makes statements where if, if, if we don't really get it, but he gets it, and he assumes that we should get it. We see things like uh, when he feeds the 5,000 and the 4,000. No, you feed them. He rebukes Peter because he says, no, you have the things of, uh, of the world on your mind, not the things of God. When he calms the storms and the disciples were saying, we are going to drown and die. They're like, why are you afraid? I'll tell you why I'm afraid, right? I mean, there's the different stories of like when Peter walks on water and then drowns. He says, you have a little faith. Why did you doubt? It's like, logically, I will tell you why I doubted. I will tell you these different reasons. But Jesus just assumed you are going to understand that I've got power, that I am who I say I am. And so when he says to his disciples, in a very transitionary time, tra transitory time. You know the place where I'm going. No, we don't. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. It's almost as if he's saying, I am the up. I am the down. I am the forward, the back, the diagonal. I am the guide. I am the northern star when you're lost in the woods of life. I am uh, 
you know, I am the, the author and perfecter. I am blank. He's saying, I am the answer. In all the different things in life, Jesus is the answer. And it's not a blanket statement. It's not an insensitive statement. It's something that we fundamentally believe as followers of Jesus. And in a world of all different pressures and things trying to shape the way that we think, we cannot lose the reality that Jesus is always the answer. He's always where our eyes go. He is always the reason for why we do what we do. We're going to take some time together and talk about the book of Colossians. And we're going to read specifically in a certain section in it. But the book of Colossians is an interesting one. And Paul, being an author of many different books of the Bible, letters of the Bible, Paul is known for being able to masterfully explain the unchanging truths of the gospel to the ever-changing needs of the church. And so when we look at the book of Colossians and the church in Colossae, there's, there's different things going on. There's, they got problems, and then Paul has a plan to help them with their problems. And so as we talk about this, it might help to identify, all right, who is this book written to? What are the problems? And what's the solution? What's the plan? And so Paul is with uh, the disciple Epaphras. Epaphras is the church leader in Colossae. And Epaphras left Colossae to likely meet Paul in Rome to discuss some of the challenges and the problems that were going on in Colossae. And Epaphras was kind of stumped as to what to do. And so Paul hears Epaphras out and then writes the letter to the church in Colossae. Now the problem in Colossae is it's a little unclear. In Galatians and the different books of the Bible, it's clear who the false teachers were. It's clear what the challenges were. But in Colossae, uh, it's a mixture of things. And it's, it's likely that there's a little bit of uh, Gnosticism that's involved, even though that's not really full-blown until the second century. In the first century, there's the workings of Gnosticism working in its way into the church. You've got the Hellenistic Jews that take Judaism, but abending with Greek logic and the worship of angels. There's mysticism and astrology and all these different things. And so the church is wrestling with a blending of so many different ideas plus Jesus. And it's getting confusing. And so what winds up happening is that it gets described as a hollow and deceptive philosophy with human tradition, an unspiritual mind that puffs up with idle notion, rules of what to eat and drink, and false humility and harsh treatment of the body, judging people in holy days, advocating for circumcision and worshiping the angels. And it results in a hollow and deceptive philosophy. And Epaphras, he's befuddled. He doesn't know what to do. The church has just got, it's just gotten wonky and funky, and he doesn't know how to meet the needs when there's so many different merging of ideas. How do we unstuck ourselves a little bit? And so he goes to the master, the master at applying the never-changing grace to our ever-changing problems. He goes, Paul, what do we do? And the plan, the solution Paul's solution, as it was in every book that he wrote, was simply Jesus. Paul, what are we going to do? I know what we're going to do. What are we going to do, Paul? Jesus. We're going to bring it back to Jesus. 
We're going to put a focus on Jesus. He applied Jesus in the book of Colossians in such a unique, creative, different way that was based specifically on the needs there. And my hope is that by looking at how Paul wrote and talks about Jesus, it'll inspire us this morning to put supremacy and focus and allow Jesus to be at the heartbeat of all of what we do. Amen? We're going to read in just a moment. If you want to turn there with me to Colossians chapter 1, we will get there. But what I love about the way that Paul preaches and teaches in the church in Colossae is that he makes, I would say, two primary points that I really admire. One is that he preaches Jesus in a way that is prevalent, and he also teaches Jesus in a way that is relevant. It's very prevalent in the way that, that Paul teaches how often the frequency that he talks about Jesus. There are four chapters in the book of Colossians, and there's 95 verses in those four chapters. And within those 95 verses, 30 times Paul mentions the word Christ, right? And he says things like, I'm an apostle of Christ, a brother of Christ, the afflictions of Christ, died with Christ, raised with Christ, circumcised by Christ, alive with Christ, died with Christ, Christ in you, the mystery of Christ, minister of Christ, serving Christ, mature in Christ, energy of Christ, hidden with Christ, peace of Christ, message of Christ, fullness in Christ, faith in Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, Christ is all, Christ is your life. It's like he's asking himself, how much Christ can I get in this letter? 31 times he mentions the name of Christ. And then he uses additional pronouns to describe Jesus. He, 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 him, he, he, him, him, him. 21 times he refers to Jesus that way. And then he says, son of God, several times as well. And so in 95 verses, Paul mentions Christ in some form 51 times. That means that for every, at least every other verse, Christ is mentioned. Brothers and sisters, as you're helping one another grow and mature, imagine if you included Christ in every other sentence that you gave to help your, your friend. Because Paul recognized, man, it is all about him. In 1 Corinthians 1, I love this. He says, when I was with you, I resolved to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was tempted to rely on other ideas and philosophies to make his point, but he resolutely decided that it's going to be Jesus and he is enough. I'm sticking there because I believe he is the answer. Paul did something so special and not just making Jesus prevalent in his words, but also relevant. Paul was a master at making Jesus relevant to the various needs, to all the needs that went around him. You know, but oftentimes the people around him just looked at him as irre irrelevant. Family members said, ah, we know this guy. Isn't he the carpenter's son? Isn't he? And they began dismissing him. Jesus is relevant whether we like it or not. But what Paul did so well was he found ways to creatively take the different issues and plug in Jesus into those issues. Think about the challenges that were going on there in, uh, in Colossae, he takes the false teacher's terminology and shows that Jesus is even better at what they are advocating for. You know, the Gnostics believed in this thing called the, the, 
the planoma, which is essentially the fullness, the, the spiritual realm, and, and said really, the, in order to reach the planoma, you need to have secret wisdom and knowledge. But what's so cool, because that was especially a challenge in the church in Colossian, or in Colossae, what's so cool is that Christ, Paul uses the word planoma, their word, more in the book of Colossians than any other letter. He takes their thoughts, co-ops it, and puts it back on them by saying, Jesus is the fullness that you're looking for. He does this with knowledge, as knowledge was a high pursuit, and there's a high concentration here. Four times he uses the word knowledge, and he points the people back to Jesus, says that he gives you the fullness. He is your source of knowledge to understand the world better. Four times he mentions the word mystery and how Christ, the mystery of Christ, he says universe and all things and supremacy eight times, pointing to in all the stars and all the astrology, yeah, Jesus is over that too. He gives honor and glory and power to the name of Jesus. Talks about circumcision, but he even says to the, the Hellenistic Jews, but Christ gives an even better circumcision. He uses all their tenets, all their principles and philosophies, and shows them that Jesus has a better way, a better way. And he directly applied Christ to counter what the false teachers had to say. He figured out a way to make Christ relevant in every nook and cranny in their lives. As we're, do, as we're following Jesus and attempting to walk in his footsteps, oh, I pray and I hope that we continue to wrestle to allow Jesus himself to be relevant and engaged in every area of our life because he is the solution. He is the answer. When Sia was sharing about her story, I didn't know where that was going. And then she shared the part about her daughter and her, and, and her dad. That is crazy. That is wild. And Sia, your vulnerability is amazing. But what was so incredible was the just, I get it. I get what Jesus did. And that enabled her to do what she did. When we focus on Jesus and point back to him, it enables us to forgive others. It enables us to be flexible. It enables us to be hopeful for the future. Jesus is the answer that all of us are looking for. We are not going to read this whole thing, but I love this passage in 1 Corinthians, uh, sorry, Colossians 1, 15 through 19. This is uh, known amongst the scholars as, as essentially the highest potency of Christology all throughout the New Testament. The amount of time that Jesus is lifted up and praised in this small section of Scripture. Paul said it so passionately and confidently that the, the, the Christians in the early church adopted it, turned it into a song, and they would say it everywhere they went. Because they just were trying to figure out a way to put Jesus in the driver's seat, to put the focus back on him. The supremacy, the prevalence, and the power that Jesus has. Now, we're not going to go through all these things, but there's a few things in here that I want to highlight that really lift up the way that Paul did a great job of taking Jesus and applying it to their specific situation. Are you guys with me? It's a lot. This is, this is a little heady. I'm not a teacher. I'm not Tom Hughes, but I'm trying right now, okay? Here we go. Verse 16. For in him all things were created, 
things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He makes the point that in all things, Jesus is the fullness, that it was created through him. I think sometimes we think about Jesus as he sort of just like popped out of Mary one day and then, you know, he lived his life and died. But what's interesting is that Genesis 1, Jesus was there in the creation. He was making it all. But not only was he making the rulers, the authorities, the governments, the nations, the the universe and all that's wide at large, it was made through him, but it was also made for him. The purpose of all these things, the purpose of the nations and the people and the rulers and the authorities, all the universe, it's all for him. It's for his glory. It's made by him and for him. It's all about him. We live in an age where exclusivism, kind of making the thought that, hey, I, I believe in Jesus, but you know, you don't, you're just doing your thing. And I would never, our job as disciples is not to make people open, but to find the open people. But I think there is a reality that we're afraid of pushing against exclusivism, like, oh, our way is correct. But here's the reality. Jesus made all things, and all things are for him. So regardless of where people are in the spectrum of thinking and religion and faith and all these different things, the reality is that Jesus is their answer to. And we have to believe that. And hopefully as time goes on, we point our, our soon-to-be brothers and sisters back to the reality of Jesus. But do you believe it? Do you believe that all things are made for him and made through him? Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things, right? All things, the the planoma, the fullness, all things hold together. Paul says that Jesus is the glue of life and not just Christian things held together. Jesus holds the universe together. All things are held together. He is the preservative, the sustainer. You know, this idea in Hebrews, it says that Jesus, uh, his word sustains us. This idea of sustain is kind of the, the, if you imagine a large super tanker going through the ocean, the word sustain is essentially to be the buoyancy that pushes the ship back up and keeps it afloat. I don't know if that makes sense, but essentially Jesus is saying, I keep all things afloat and I hold it together. 2024 is an election year. I was going to say it, but it's an election year. We need to be held together. And Jesus is going to be the agent that does it. Marriages, families, friendships, whatever it is, Jesus is the glue that holds us together. If you want something to hold together, you got to go to Jesus. We can't do it, but Jesus can. Verse 18, 18b, says, so that in everything he might have a supremacy, for God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him. I want you just to stop and think about what Paul says there. So then everything he might have the supremacy. There is only one thing in all of creation that can have supremacy. There is no short phrase that gives greater credentials to anyone than this statement. Jesus is the top. He is above all of it. 
He is supreme. He is in control. He is master. We must recognize him and praise him for who he is. He is supreme in Montclair. He is supreme in New York. He is supreme in Newark and Passaic County and the Philippines and the government and anything, the rulers, the governments, all these different things, the powers and authorities. He is supreme. He is in charge. And lastly, in verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood, shed on the on the cross. This one might be my favorite part. We're familiar with Jesus reconciling us to, to God because of our sin through the death on the cross. But this is so much bigger than this. It's saying that Jesus reconciles to himself all things. Jesus' death has aligned the universe to the will of God. All things, the, the, you name it, God through Jesus has aligned everything back to him. I don't even know what that means, but I love it. The alignment of the entire universe depends on Jesus. But think about this. When you're trying to help someone become a Christian, when you're involved in Bible studies, sharing your faith with friends, you're not just trying to convert one person, but what you're literally doing is aligning them with the flow of the universe. When you get in there and you help them, you are restoring families. You are restoring peace and joy and life and love. It's so much more than just an invitation. You're helping everyone, despite maybe their resistance to the flow of Jesus, align themselves back with him. Man, we are literally saving the planet as disciples of Jesus. And this is like a, a Marvel comic book thing. Some people love, let's save the whales, and let's hug a tree and save a tree and save the environment. As disciples of Jesus, you are saving the universe. That's what you're doing. Man, it is legendary to be in a room with superheroes in that way. We are part of aligning souls right side up with the direction of Jesus in the universe. We're coming for a landing here. Jesus is amazing. I hope you understand that. <laughs> you know that. You're just being reminded, hopefully, this morning. Jesus is amazing. He is the answer to every area of our life. Name an area and bring it back to Jesus. Again, we need help. We need advice. There's more to the Bible than just the Gospels. Praise God, all these different things. But let us not put Jesus on a shelf when he is exactly who we need to be holding on to. Let's powerfully exalt Jesus, his name being prevalent in our conversations. Let's get creative and practically apply Jesus to whatever situation we're in and we're around. Let's ask ourselves, how can I lift up the name of Jesus more? How can I make him even more relevant today? If we had time, I was going to take some time for us to just pause and to meditate on this question and to discuss it with one another. But uh, we're not going to do that. So instead, I'm going to give you a question, and I want you to write this down. And as you're driving home today or while you're in the fellowship, 
instead of talking about how the Kansas City Chiefs are going to lose today, praise God, um, what I want you to do is take some time in the fellowship to have, well, let's take it a working fellowship. Take some time to answer this question. Very simple, and we're, we're, we're a, a lifelong in progress. But here's the question. What is one area in your life that needs a reorientation towards Jesus? Take some time to think about that. Feel free to write that down. What is one area in your life that needs a reorientation towards Jesus, bringing him into the fiber of your being? And what might that look like this week? Let's pray together as we close out. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful for you. We are so grateful for Jesus. I mean, just the, 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 the idea, the, all the songs that we've sang today are so appropriate. You are going to fix it. I want more. I feel like a toddler when I sing that song sometimes. I just want more of you, Jesus. We just want more of you. We want you to be in the fiber of our thoughts and our actions and the way we love our children and our friends and our spouses and our coworkers. We want more of you, Jesus. Please soften our hearts and help us have greater insight. Help us mature to a place similar to what Paul says, says, hey, I am resolute to just preaching Jesus because he is enough. He is the answer. He is who we're focusing on. I pray that there be a continued revelation and restoration of Jesus Christ as our King and as our Lord. Father, I pray for every person here as well as on Zoom. Continue to, uh, I pray for those who are hurting, that you heal them. Thank you for being the great physician. Father, we love you so much. In your sons, let me pray. Amen.